I've got my coffee socks on this morning, so clearly I'm ready. Hello and welcome to E-Commerce Matters, brought to you by Black Curve. We help e-commerce businesses make pricing decisions. Today's title is, Are You Accidentally Price Fixing? I'm joined today, as ever, by Dr. Rob Horton, Product Director at Black Curve. And my name's Philip Hathaway, founder of Black Curve, with almost 10 years in the pricing tech space. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome, Rob. Welcome. I didn't give you a funny intro today, actually. I'm sorry, I realised I didn't come up with a no, funny, I, funny I, intro. I appreciated that I wasn't the fashionista of pricing or best dressed in pricing or or whatever whatever it is. So, I must admit uh, they do require some brain power before for me to spend a minute <laughs> thinking about it. And uh, pizza was calling me, so I, I decided to eat pizza <laughs> rather than come up with a with a name for you. So I apologise. Next week I will do better and make sure I I come up with an equally good name. Or are you telling me you don't like them? That's the. <laughs> oh yeah, it keeps people interested, I guess. We just need Manny back on. Uh, we found out our little secret about how you uh, how you sort your SEO on episodes out, and apparently you get the marketing guy on it because he heavily prioritises. <laughs> 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 yes, his episode is funnily pinned to all the various panels <laughs> at the top of the top of the news feed. But you know, hey, you know, if you're in it, why not? Why yeah, not? And yeah. if you've got if control, you can't put your thumb on the scales. <laughs> exactly. Why not? Um, so today's title is: Are you accidentally price fixing? Um, and and it's interesting to say that uh, we don't just randomly come up with these titles. There are uh, there are a lot of a lot of thought thought came into it. And I'd like to have a shout out for our chairman Martin Fincham for for sending us in the direction of this uh, this particular podcast because it's actually off the back of a Telegraph article which we'll look at look at later. Uh, we are going highbrow today. It's none of none of the mainstream. We've gone broadsheet today, people. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it should be it should be really interesting um, interesting topic. And I've certainly uh, done some reading about it and also uh, looked at my own depths of my notebook again. Scary place that is as well of, uh, to, to support today's today's podcast. So in terms of are you accidentally price fixing, I thought it might be worth starting with what is price fixing and exploring that just so we set the level playing field so we know what we know what we're dealing with. So Rob, in your words, what's price fixing? Well, I can do better in my words because uh, it's often best to go to a source. So I know at school they say never quote Wikipedia, but uh, I'm going to quote Wikipedia. But fundamentally, price fixing is an agreement between participants of the same side of the market to buy or sell a product, service or commodity at a fixed price or maintain market conditions. Um, so what that means in reality is colluding. In the, in the market. So we're both selling something, the same thing, and we know we're the only people selling it. And I go to you and say, hey, Philip, we're the only two people selling this. Should we charge a little bit more? Uh, and you go, yeah, Rob, that sounds like a great idea. Um, that's price fixing, fundamentally. So it's whether or not we've had a conversation. It's where, you know, two competing entities have had a conversation. Generally speaking, uh, a lot of the time when this takes place, it is conversation-based because you don't want you don't want things like that to be in writing, uh, and it's an absolute no-no. Um, this collusion, because I mean, you know, there's various instances of it. The one that I found was 
um, that was actually quoted in this this Telegraph article, um, which was I should say who it's written. If we're getting our sources correct, I should say who it's written. Written by Tim Wallace on the twenty fifth of August. 2020 uh, on the Telegraph, and um, the one that he he mentioned was in 2006. The sorry, tw- 2016 rather. The Competition and Markets Authority issued warnings about online behaviour, and they fined uh, business more than 160,000 pounds for colluding with a rival to promise not to undercut each other when selling posters and frames on Amazon. That sounds like colluding to me, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it sounds pretty <laughs> indefensible. Um, uh, so, so it's a hundred sixty thousand. It's not. It's 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 a it's a reasonable fine as well for it. Yeah, well, you, I mean, it's the kind of thing where you have to act aggressively to enforce, right? Because if the if the punishment doesn't heavily outweigh the benefit, people are just going to do it and hope they don't get caught. Um, so why is why is it considered such a bad thing? Uh, because it's anti-consumer fun- fundamentally um if you if we go back i know we talk about market theory a lot but if you go back to market theory you're not letting the relationship between buyer and seller set the price in the market so demand set the price um you're just artificially setting the price uh because you have power that the other person hasn't and it's a big argument for regulation basically because this is probably another tangential conversation, but uh, free markets don't really work in practice because of monopolies. And I know there's very complex arguments about collapse monopolies and whatever, but fundamentally, if there are four people selling a product and people need it, they can't, and in theory, charge what they want up to a given point, right? And if they're talking, they're not trying to act competitively with each other, which is what free markets depend on. They're just saying, well, why don't we all charge a huge amount for it? And the consumer has to take it. Really, like, where this becomes really, really punishing is in, like, pharmaceuticals, say, where where you actually have a product that someone needs to stay alive, like insulin or, or something in the U.S. is actually a key one. And when you have a few people who control the supply, they can effectively collude and price fix and drive that price up because people have to pay it. And the end consumer suffers because they're being massively taken advantage of. Um, and, and in certain instances, you know, as you've mentioned, it can be life or death, right? And if they can't get access mm. to that because they physically can't afford it because a conclusion's happened, then, you know, you are, you, you're, you're in this life and death balance. Um, and also all the other economic touch points of it around it discourages innovation uh and 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 and, and that if if businesses mm-hmm. are getting together why should they bother investing in the next product to to beat competitor x and y if they all just decide to sit there and and, and agree agree what the price is yeah i mean fundamentally that's it it's um interestingly there's an argument that actually price fixing is is inefficient as well because again you're not doing your price optimization piece so you may think you're making more money but you may not be because of how you're artificially hiking the price so, um, so why is it inefficient then why why do we think again, people are doing it? it's in, sorry it's inefficient by definition right because you're not letting the relationship between supply and demand set the price in the market you're just setting a price in the market so I think is it a good time to look at look at to take this a bit further and look at why 
we feel that actually you know on, online retailers can in circumstances actually be accidentally price fixing um and i think you know we've we've touched upon some of the areas around the fact that that it's that that retailers are actually going out of their way to price fix it's a bad thing that it, it's anti-competitive it's inefficient but also the the research is is showing that that businesses are you know Never known you know, to borrow to borrow our, our the, the 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 title from last week's podcast. You know they're they're unknowingly price fixing, um, and and it because it price fixing has become is the secondary output of their primary uh, pricing strategy basically. Um, and I mean one of the reasons that that this article resonated with us is because. One of the so so uh, I'll, I'll just find the the chap's name. So this is based on the findings of economist Hampus. I'm going to massively mispronounce his surname now. Uh, Popius, at uh, so <laughs> forgive me, forgive me, Hampus. Um, he's at Lund University, and basically, you know, it's been driven, yeah, obviously as you'd expect, by a massive shift to online online retailing online purchases which again has been rapidly accelerated because of the the coronavirus the covid situation they're in at the moment and also one of the the reasons that he touches upon is because the rapid availability of cheap real-time monitoring of prices pricing is more visible than any point in the history of time right you know historically if you wanted to find out your competitor's price, you'd have to physically go to that shop and look, right? Whereas now you've got the ability to have automated tools, which in real time can can rapidly, thousands if not millions of products can find at any given time what the price is for those those products. And um, and this this article references says that 53% of online retailers in the EU track competitor online prices, and then. Just over half of those then use automatic software to make counter pricing moves. Okay, so this is what we mean by we're starting to get into this territory of perhaps accidentally price fixing, right? Um, so, what 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 do you feel, Rob? We mean when we talk about accidentally? Yeah, so I, um, we it's been an ongoing theme with us, kind of the the fallout from blindly following competitors or solely using competitor repricing strategies. Um, we often talk about race to the bottoms, which is when you get to a negative feedback spiral with a competitor. Um, but we haven't talked much about price freezing. Um, and it's quite easy to see how this com- comes about. Say I'm running a robot, you're running a robot. We match each other's prices. If neither of us moves a price, the price never moves. Right, and so the the prices in effect uh, become fixed, or worse than that, for a consumer. Say you're following me, and I'm, I nudge my price up, you come up with me. I nudge my price up, you come up with me, and we drive, we drive the price in the marketplace up just by following each other, not through any relationship with supply and demand and and all the rest of it. And again, we are accidentally price fixing. And it's actually just it just sort of raises an interesting point in my mind around you never you never really hear of stories of people price fixing prices artificially lower 
unless you've come across any case studies to, to, so, to so say I that. I think I've got an answer for this. Uh, um, do, do you know the, ben, the definition of insider trading? Well, I, I'm not the dictionary definition, but I certainly know, uh, hey, mate, I've got this great stock pick. Uh, I'm, it's, they're just about so, to get so, investment, yeah. So there's a, there's, a, there's a rider to insider trading and you have to benefit from it. So I imagine it's the same with price fixing. So you can you can insider trade as much as you want, quote unquote. And if you're losing money, no one cares. Uh, it's only when you start making money that it becomes a problem. And I imagine it's similarly for for price fixing, in that if you're colluding to lower the price in the market price in the marketplace. Bully, bully for you, like. you you haven't met the underground group that are consumer price consumer focused price fixers there they're, they're trying to <laughs> try to go out and get everyday everyday low prices uh, across across the board but but no absolutely so 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 it's generally you know the the reason for price fixing as well as touch upon is it's got it's been it, the aim the goal of doing it the businesses doing it are trying to benefit um and somebody's going to to lose out um so we're we're, we're seeing this this we're, we're edging, to borrow your phrase, into kind of repricing territory here. So what mm-hmm. do we mean by repricing? Um, it, it, is that the technology that's causing these automatic changes in prices? Yeah, by and large. So what those stats said to me is that 50% of e-commerce businesses in Europe are scraping or, or, or paying people to scrape data for them. So what that means is that they are automatically gathering price data from the web. Uh, we've spoken about how that works before. And then 25% of the companies, e-commerce companies in, in Europe are using that to automatically make price decisions. That could be using a tool, that could be using an Excel spreadsheet, um, uh, there's a whole manner of that could just be doing it by by hand, right, and and eyeballing it. But um, that actually means that roughly, if you twenty five percent of decisions are competitor driven, not uh, driven by the consumer in any way, shape, or form. Um, so you could argue that twenty five percent of <laughs> the prices are being fixed, like. Which is interesting. So how, how does that work? So yeah, realistically, you, you have a tool that automatically gathers data from the internet, and then you have a piece of software that will automatically implement that decision, usually when a price change has been made. So the tool will recognize that, say, um, a book on a website has changed by 15p, and then if your pricing rule says you always want to be the lowest, you'll drop your price to, to either match or, or, or undercut that. Um, so if we're talking about price fixing more specifically, uh, say you're just matching your competitors, they make a price change, you match that price change. Um, you both effectively moved your price by the same amount. So I think w- one of the, the bit, bits of data that would be in really interesting to get hold of is of the 25% of the market that is react is using technology to react to price changes what technology are they buying because you know one of the reasons that i founded black curve because i have a fundamental bugbear on un you know and why why should you follow your competitors if you don't have to and this is what we mean by the, the one of one of the outputs of doing that is not only that you're 
you're you're sometimes you're lowering price when you don't need to so sometimes you're following but in this instance in the, you're accidentally price fixing in terms of you're accidentally increasing the price unknowingly because you're following a move and that's causing a negative impact on the market because also are you selling any more because you're making that move are you selling you know less you're ignoring so many other pieces of the jigsaw and and that's what that's what frustrates me so i would love to know of the 25% of the market how many are how much one one of the easy ways to do it would be to find out how much money people are actually spending on pricing technology and then maybe using that as a lever because typically really basic pricing technology is around about 50 100 quid a month right okay yeah. and most of those technologies will simply be saying right i want to make sure i my market position is number three in the market okay as in my prices are always the third most expensive or or the third cheapest whichever way whichever way you look at it or i want to always maintain parity with rob's emporium uh to borrow to borrow a shop from a previous podcast uh, or philip's outdoor store right you know th- mm-hmm. th- these 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 are these are the par- and if 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 that's all they're doing is that what we mean by price fixing is that is that, is that there's a risk there is that is that what we mean that these very yeah, basic basically that right it's that you're not using any information about supply or demand to dictate what your price should be which is what you're supposed to do in an efficient market so if we go around the slightly antagonistic legal question of, of price fixing it's exactly what you say you're not actually charging the optimum amount for that product you're not maximizing profitability you're just setting a price because a competitor set at a price or or whatever so so if i'm a if i'm phillips phillips uh, outdoor shop and i'm competing with rob's emporium right i haven't had a conversation with you to say hey rob i've got these great coats should we should we have them for 100 quid a pop i haven't but mm. i'm monitoring monitoring you and i see oh rob's put them for 100 quid so therefore my automatic system is going to match you so we haven't had that conversation but the technology that that we've embedded has forced us to fix our prices yeah so this is right i can talk for a long time about this this is fascinating because this is about whether ai can collude or not right because fundamentally whether you've spoken to me or not my business process has spoken to your business process right um and then made a decision effectively made a decision based off of it um now realistically there's no way to to prevent that but it but it's the same thing that we saw this in the in the city in the 80s onwards when the with the rise of the quantitative analysts and start people started trading algorithmically and you get these you had like the flash crashes and um all these kind of wonderfully named days of the week black monday or i never remember them but but really what happened was that the robots interact or the ai interact and then you get um basically unpredicted events in the marketplace um for one of my favorite ones in the city is because people think similarly so they tend to put their 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 limits uh around the same amount so that means that um when something goes wrong it goes wrong for everyone at exactly the same time so instead of having one machine dying basically that they all break at the same time and you could argue that 
that is more and more likely to happen that more and more people use competitor-driven, specifically pricing technology. Um, because if we take the race to the bottom, which is the most pathological example for a merchant, uh, say, um, I want to be the lowest in the market, you want to be the lowest in the market, I've got min margin, you've got min margin, tumble, 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 we chase each other down to whoever's got the lowest, and we both freeze our lowest min margin. And that doesn't say anything about the consumer's willingness to pay in any way, shape, or form, or how much you should be. It just says that I want to be cheaper than you, I want to be cheaper than you, and I want to be cheaper than you. Now, if that's your strategy, and for smaller companies, it often has to be, that's kind of, that's all you can do. But if you're larger, if you've got pricing power, if you've got brand presence, it's a terrible decision because you're, you're losing margin arbitrarily. So, I mean, you know, the economic arguments about it being inefficient, if we look at price fixing in the, the definition of why you'd be given a, a fine and why it's a legal no-no, okay, it's not a legal no-no to have, to, to, to have pricing technology that enables you to make decisions. I mean, full disclosure, Blackcurve, we sell pricing technology. But really what, what we're trying to, to get at is that it is inefficient to use just basic pricing technology because you are in effect colluding with each other unknowingly okay and you are and it's inefficient it's not good for the consumer it's not good it's not it's not good for you because you might not need to even follow that price in the first place and you might actually shift more units if you don't follow that price okay so this is what we're trying to get at in terms of you, you, you might be you might need to follow them, but you've got to make sure that you're using all the data sets available to you to make sure that that price point is the right point is the is the right yeah, point look, at that given time for there, you. There are absolutely say this time and time again, but there are absolutely cases you will need to follow. Right? If you're a if you don't have the same reputation as another company, if you're much smaller, uh, say I've got Rob's outdoor no Rob's electronic shop, and I'm competing with AO, probably better off following or undercutting AO's price, right? Because I don't have the other kind of service wrapper or, or or brand presence or whatever. So I have to get noticed somehow and price is one of the ways I can get noticed. Um, and it might be efficient. It, it might be efficient if, if you are Rob's electric, electrical emporium and it's just you who's just set it up. For your business mm -hmm. to be efficient, having a simple basic pricing technology might be the best thing for you to do at that precise moment in time. Yeah, because I might I might also not get the volume in sales data in order to to be able to calculate this, or I might be launching a new product, or um, a, ho a whole number of reasons that mean that that supply and demand, the price elasticity optimization question can't can't be matched. I mean, we see this um, we see this a lot with new clients, right? Where traditionally people have years of data, but it's the same data point. So from a pricing perspective or price elasticity perspective, it's pretty useless. And part of what we do is we we uh, we test price and build that data set up over time. But, but fundamentally, initially, we put people on competitive strategies because it's the correct decision for them because there's the the automation piece as well, right? There's the... The, the, that manual, either checking your competitors or taking the spreadsheet and making a decision and all the rest of it. If you've got 10,000 SKUs, it's, it's a lot of time, it, if it's possible at all. 
So there absolutely is a place for these reprices. Um, I just think it, the more uh, established your business is or the more sophisticated that you're thinking or interaction with the marketplace becomes, uh, the more damaging of using a simple repricer is. And, and also to come to the, really, what, what are you trying to use pricing for, right? If you're just trying to use pricing to come to the table and have a bit of a bit of a skirmish like you know okay fine the basic repricing technology allows you to do that but it will not allow you to grow market share and 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 strive for and i, I actually i think there's a fa- i think that's a really good point because i think there is a conceptual fallacy there in that people say oh i don't need pricing the market sets the price right but the market isn't setting up uh, the, the whole point of this podcast is the market isn't setting the price if you're using that pricing strategy right bingo the, the the somebody whoever got there first has set a set a set of prices on their website and the technology is coming along and and making a change and the whole market really is following that that whoever's got their pricing leader and however they set their minimum and maximum price okay so if you want to get off this treadmill of simply following somebody else's pricing strategy and you want to get on this treadmill of using price to enable you to to not just have a bit of a skirmish, not just play some silly games to really grow market share. You've got to open up to to using the other data sets to support those decisions. Because you know one of the reasons that the economist said that price fixing is so so terrible is because it doesn't consider other market forces. It doesn't consider supply. Doesn't consider demand. Doesn't consider all of the other market forces at play here. And until you can start to work out what those market forces are, you're not you're going to have really struggle to grow market share. And that's when you start to be in a position where you just have to throw money at marketing or throw money at other areas. Okay, throw money at cost cutting, which is not is not massively strategic or not massively clever. You know, I'm creating creating broad broad sweeping statements here, um, but but that's where we're trying to get. That's what we're trying to get at here is that. That basic pricing technology has a lot of dangers at play. One of them being is that you're colluding unknowingly. So what we're trying to say is that you can step off the tread, step off this accidental collusion, and you can use more advanced pricing technology that enables you to take advantage of supply-driven pricing, demand-driven pricing, take advantage of what's the weather telling me, what should my price should be. You know, and things like that, right? That that's really what, yeah, what we're yeah, trying completely. to get at. 100%. Okay. Uh, but then you get in the other side, okay? That if you are then followed by the other competitors, they're they then they're then following you and following your pricing strategy. Though know, is that is that is that the, is that the other danger? Yeah, well, that's interesting in a sense. In that, um, this is this is incredibly nuanced. I apologise, but like if. Um, if people are following you and you are responding to demand, it's no longer really price fixing. It's just a second order effect, right? This is kind of what I was getting at when I said that, like, if you don't have the sales data, you're better off following someone who does, like following prices on Amazon or, or, or whatever. Because then that that actually is still a healthy market. It will just take you some time to react to the person. The danger is when everyone is just using competitor strategies. Which I think, from uh, certainly from my lived experience of two and a half years of pricing, tends to be 
everyone cares what the Joneses are doing, right? That, that that's that's all it is. It's what are my competitors doing? Um, and I guess part of what we try and say at Blackcomb is to kind of look inwardly at you. What are you doing? What can you control? Why are you worrying about what you can't control? You should be worrying about what you can control. Really. Because otherwise your strategy is simply following somebody else's pricing strategy, right? And and yeah. and also to 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 borrow what we were talking about from the John Lewis example is you run the risk of going driving the price down in circumstances where you don't want to drive the price down simply because they might have better buying power than you, and 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 that that is a form of that is a form of collusion and form of a dragging down that that you don't you don't want, right? Um, I mean, I, I think you could go in tons of different directions here. I, I, I didn't really, it, it's, it's the, if someone does this, what does then happen? If someone does this, what does then happen? But I certainly feel that a healthy market is one which is constantly innovating, is constantly taking advantage of multiple data sets, is constantly trying to get one up on, on somebody else. Um, and by simply taking a one-dimensional view of, I'm going to put some simple rules in place which says if competitor x y and z does this i do this and and that is loads of risks in place and that doesn't take advantage doesn't take into consideration market forces it simply takes into consideration where is my competitor's max and min price set that's all it does so a uh, stone silence was there anything more on on this particular topic that 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 you might want to ask i mean i think i would certainly invite um you know i don't i don't, I, I don't normally like uh, avoid confrontation as as in a lot of lot of lot of circumstances but i would certainly <laughs> welcome comments from some of our competitors as well around you know what they feel about price fixing especially especially the ones that that are around the kind of 100 quid a month mark 200 quid a month mark about what's their view on view on this because i mean yeah it's important to say that there is a time you know, you've said it a few times there's a time and a place to follow what your competitor is doing because they are bread and butter products that people purchase simply because of they, they, they there's a few few key suppliers in there and if you're not on the money with a few key suppliers you're not going to win that sale Okay, and that's both going up and both going down. So, but you've got yeah, to consider I'd the other data sets. I'd chip in on that as well because I'd be really interested to know what the. So, from, from, from our experience at the enterprise end, often the pricing operation is, is, is very similar to the, to the other end in, in terms of maybe the strategies rather than the sophistication of it. But, so I'd be interested with people who work in, to hear from people who work at, at that end, especially in a more consultancy measure, uh, whether that's our competitors or otherwise, because I think that's, um, I think there often is a, a cultural change piece associated with it, with this kind of message we have, um, because there's a, it's not just, uh, about that this is the data and whatever it's about convincing stakeholders that this is actually the case and this are these are the effects because this is one area in particular in pricing where you, you need to really deeply understand what's going on in a marketplace actually and we've both got years doing it uh, so it seems fairly natural but i don't think emer kind of emergent behavior from algorithms it is a is an, something that's easy to understand or something that's well understood in general 
I feel a book coming on. Uh, I don't know, uh, some some form of research paper, maybe. Uh, uh, <laughs> get George to write it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Today, we've been tackling the question, are you accidentally price fixing? So I would suggest you have a look, ask your e-commerce director, or if you're responsible, have a look at what my technology I'm using. And if your technology you're using is simply making decisions based on what your competitors are doing, you might unknowingly be price fixing. And I'd certainly encourage you to, to have conversations about what are the technologies out there that can, can help you avoid this inefficient practice. Because not only do the eco- economists show that, that collusion is inefficient and, and basic repricing technology is supporting this unknowingly, it might might be, I just need to, uh, to add for my legal team there. Um, and, uh, uh, and it might be worth considering, right, how do I really grow my market share and how can pricing help me do that? Pricing is one of the best levers for growing your business, okay? Growing profitability in your business and supporting rapid, rapid growth, okay? Because it goes straight to your bottom line. And if all you're doing is simply following your competitors, you know, you're just having a, uh, just having a bit of a fight, fight, right? It, you know, nobody's benefiting from that situation. To grow your market share, you've got to think better. You've got to think wider. You've got to think broader. You've got to use more data sets you, to make your pricing decisions, such as supply and demand data sets. So as I said, we've been Black Curve. We help e-commerce businesses make pricing decisions. This is our podcast, E-commerce Matters, available on all major podcasting platforms. We look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.